Well, it's good to see you. If you're a guest, I'm David, the pastor. We're glad you're here. You're always welcome to come. Whatever we have going on today, uh, it's kind of the last sermon in a series we've been in, entitled The Life of uh, Jesus, The Life and Times of Jesus. <clears throat> As I said in the very first sermon of the series, I have a book in my office. Outside the Bibles that I have, it's the most important book I have. Uh, it's called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And, you know, kind of following that book a little bit, the series has been just an attempt, really, to help us understand the context of the world in which Jesus came, especially the Jewish world, that the, the Jews had taken uh, their faith relationship with God that is found in the Old Testament. And by the time you come to the New, it had become a system of belief, a system of works. And so the thing that I wanted you to see throughout this series is simply this, that society and culture, including Judaism, had never experienced anyone like Jesus. Uh, who he was and what he did challenged their world, it changed their world. And that's just as true today. What happened back then is just as true today as it was then. Who is Jesus and how does he impact my life? That's what we need to see. And so, you know, we're in the final message. It's all come from the first chapter of Mark. We're in verse 21 through 28. The message today is entitled, They Were All Amazed. And here is here's what the passage says to us. They went into Capernaum. And immediately, and Mark used the word immediately a bunch, Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And just then, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? You have come to destroy, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet. And come out of him, and throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice, and came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. So, we come to this last sermon of the series. This is what I want you to see when all is said and done. Here's the thing. The difference between Jesus and the Jewish leaders and their system was his authority. That's what it boils down to. The difference between Jesus and the religious system of that day and every religious system is the authority of Jesus. That matters. And so uh, we come to the first chapter and kind of, you know, the summation. Um, when, when Mark wrote this gospel, and Mark wrote it about 58, 59 A.D., Mark most likely uh, got most of his stuff from Peter. He was really close to Peter. There's reasons and ways we know that. He was also very close to the Apostle Paul. Uh, Mark was an important person in that period of time. We don't really realize that that much, but he was. And uh, Mark wrote this gospel. And when he, when he begins it, he says, this is the beginning of something. This is the start of something. This is not a continuation of what you already have. In other words, unlike the Jewish religious system, this is something completely new. It is the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. This is what it's about. And, and then, you know, and then he talks about John the Baptist coming and, and kind of preparing the way. There was a, a baptism, a message of the need to repent and get right with God. Jesus comes to that baptism, not because he needs to repent at all, but because he loves God. And he identifies with the people at that moment. And in doing so, the heavens open up, the Holy Spirit comes, God says, this is my beloved son, whom I have well pleased, this is the beginning of his ministry. And then, you know, in verse 14, the gap between verse 13 and 14 is about a year, Jesus is just preaching, and his message is very simple, repent and believe in the gospel. And Mark has already said he's the gospel, so Mark is telling us his message was repent and believe in me, 
And then and he goes on to say, Jesus does, that you know, how this comes about is you follow me. He says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I'll give you a whole new purpose in life. So the fundamental message of Jesus, to repent, to believe in him or trust him, and to follow him with our life. That is Christianity. And what we see then is with that happening, it kind of puts him in big conflict with the Jewish religious system. And so it's kind of like, why, why would Jesus be the way to go? Why would you go that way instead of with the religious system? And, and Mark begins in verse 21 and following through the rest of this gospel to explain that. And we see it kind of in 21 through 28. And here's what we see. And just kind of resummarize what I said earlier. Jesus had what the religious leaders and their system lacked. They were missing something. All the people knew they were missing something. It wasn't connecting with them. What he had that they lacked was authority. He had an authority they didn't have. Now, in verse 21, he is in Capernaum. Capernaum is kind of the home base of his ministry. It's up in the area of the Sea of Galilee. It's the home of Peter. It's the home of Andrew, maybe John and James, the fishing business. And he comes to preach in the synagogue. Now, to preach in the synagogue, the synagogue, kind of like our church, but the synagogue had some leaders, and and, and they had rabbis attached to the synagogue. The rabbis are the closest thing in in the New Testament to what I am as a pastor. uh, But they would invite people, and Jesus was kind of considered a rabbi. They invited him to speak, and there would be a reading of Scripture, and then there would be a message, a homily, a message to go with whatever he read. And this is what it said. In verse 22, kind of summarizes this thing. It says, they were amazed at when he taught because he had authority unlike the scribes. And so it says the word amazed. And, and in verse 27, again, it says they were amazed. They were two different words in the Greek, meaning basically the same thing. Here, this word amazed means to be astonished. It means to have something happen that knocks you off your mark. In a negative sense, it could be something that would cause a panic, but in, in, in Scripture, mostly the idea is something that just surprises, astonishes you. They were astonished. They were amazed. It was unbelievable the way Jesus taught. I mean, when he taught and when he preached, he created an energy. He created an excitement. If, you know, if Jesus were Baptist, he'd offer an invitation and people would come forward, you know. I mean, he just had that kind of connection. And the reason he connected with them so much is because he had authority. In the New Testament, there are two basic words for the concept of power. And authority kind of has this idea of power. One word, which is not used here, speaks of raw ability. It's just, it's just the raw power you have. Uh, later on in the world, when TNT is developed and the word dynamite comes out, some say that it came from this Greek word, which is the word dunamis. Now, whether it did or not, it doesn't matter. But that word dunamis, that word for power gives you the idea. The word for authority here, and some of your versions may have power, it's, it's the idea of something that is innate, that is within your character, it's part of who you are. And it speaks of a power, it speaks of, it speaks of the right to do something. For instance, if a person was made king, the minute they became king, they had an authority they didn't have before. Now this word for authority, ekosia, has connections with God. God, because of who God is... God has authority. Jesus had that kind of authority. That's why they were amazed. It said the authority that was unlike the scribes. Now, the scribes were part of the religious system. It can be confusing when you read in the New Testament and you read in the Gospels. All these different Jewish groups and leaders. There, were, there, are, several, there are several Jewish parties, or I can think of a political party, so to speak. The two most prominent in the Gospels are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. To be a Sadducee, you had to be a priest, 
and they were connected with the temple in Jerusalem. That's where they were. There weren't many of them. But Pharisees were kind of open to anybody, and they were all over the place. And you see them mostly, and Pharisees were the people who were the followers and the keepers of the religious legal system, the religious system of the Jews. There was another group, they were not part of the party, they could be, but they weren't necessarily part of that, called scribes, sometimes translated lawyers. And the reason they were translated lawyers is because the Jews looked at their religious system as also a legal system. You legally kept the rules and regulations. Scribes could be Pharisees. They didn't have to be. But the scribes were the experts of the law. So here's, here's kind of how we would put it. To kind of relate to us, rabbis kind of relate to pastors. The scribes would be those guys who consider themselves scholars, seminary professors, all of that. Who, by the way, I can assure you, aren't always that scholarly. Just trust me on that. So, you know, they were the experts. If anyone knew the law, and here's what's being said. That Jesus had an expertise. He had a connection to God these guys didn't have. And they were amazed. And listen, and people are talking about it. I mean, Mark is just, remember, Peter was from Capernaum. Peter hangs with Jesus. And people are saying, hey, that Jesus guy that you follow, man, he's amazing. He's got an authority. And everybody was hearing this. And the scribes and the Pharisees would hear this as well. And from this point on, there was this unbelievable tension in Mark, as in all the Gospels, between Jesus, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And, and, and we need to understand it was because Jesus went beyond their law. He just pushed their law aside and went straight to God. Uh, there is no better example of this conflict than Jesus dealing with the Pharisees and scribes on the issue of the Sabbath. In fact, if you keep reading in Mark, immediately you're going to come to an issue on the Sabbath. Wednesday nights, we have this thing called Grow at 6.15. And this Wednesday night, I'm going to talk about the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees over the Sabbath. But here's the thing in a nutshell. There is a commandment that Moses gave, that God gave. says, honor the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. It says, keep it holy. Don't do any work. In other words, there's a day of the week. It's my day. Don't need to work that day. Worship me. That's it. And the, and the Pharisees, or the, or the scribes, had taken all of these all, they're taking this one commandment, and they had created a system of over 40 different rules and regulations for keeping the Sabbath that almost no one could keep. And they, and they said, if you're going to keep the Sabbath, this is how you have to do it. And Jesus just constantly broke that. And part of what they said you can't do on the Sabbath, you can't do any work at all. You can't even help people. You can't go help your neighbor. You can't do anything that might be considered working. And they had this unbelievably restrictive idea of work. When you come to the next verse after 22, which is 23, it says there was this guy there. Jesus is there. He's in the synagogue. It's the Sabbath. There's a guy there. He's possessed by an evil spirit or unclean spirit, a demon. And let me just stop right there. I know we live in a culture where we have the idea or concept of being possessed by a demon. It's hard to understand. I get it. I'm not going to talk about it, but I get the difficulty. You know, I, <laughs> I've never seen anyone possessed by a demon. Now, let me just qualify Sometimes we think your children come pretty close to that, all right? So when they go into Upstreet and Wombleland, we're watching them carefully, and it's like, we haven't, if you see a kid, it looks like he's possessed by a demon, call one of us, we're going to catch no. But But here's the thing. But that doesn't mean they didn't exist back then or even now. Here's the thing. Jesus believed in demons. He cast them out. He talked about them. He dealt with them. Jesus believed in demons. I believe in demons. I don't understand them. I don't get it in today's culture. You tell me you've encountered many demons. I'm going to say, okay, sure. I'm like, oh, that person's crazy. But here's the thing. This guy had a demon in him. 
And it may have had multiple. And, and every week he would come to the synagogue. And all the people knew he had a demon. He had an unclean spirit. And they never did anything about it because they couldn't. None of them had the power to drive out this demon. And this guy sees Jesus and he just shouts out, we know who you are. You come to destroy us, haven't you? And he says, you're Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. You're Jesus, you're human, but you're the Holy One of God. You're God. You're God in the flesh. He's, he's confessing he's God in the flesh. And Jesus says, be quiet. But really what it says is shut up. That's what I mean, just shush, be quiet. And he casts the demon out. And he throws the guy on the ground, and he convulses, and it leaves. And then it says in verse 27, they were amazed. They were surprised. They were shocked. They'd never seen that. And they're going around saying, did you see that? He has the power. He has the power to drive out an unclean spirit. Nobody has that power. No person has that power. Only God has that power. And it says this. This is a new teaching, one with authority. Now, the word new teaching, the idea of new, doesn't mean New is a continuation of the old. If you, you, know, you go to the grocery store you know, and you go to buy toothpaste, I'm assuming most of you do buy toothpaste. I hope so. And then there's all these different selections. So let's say you buy Crest. I buy the cheapest thing I can find. That's just me personally. But let's just say it's Crest. And you know how many different versions of Crest there are? There's like 25. And then there's Crest. And I just want the most basic because to me it's toothpaste is toothpaste. You know, I just want the most basic. And then it says new and improved. And I look at the new and improved, and I know it's more expensive. I don't know what difference there is between the old crest and the new and improved crest. But there's got to be something because it's supposed to be improved upon it. Improving upon the religious system is not what Jesus did. He had a completely different system. It went from crest to Colgate. I mean, it was different. And that's the concept. It's just something, and here's the thing. It had something they never experienced. It had the authority, the authority to even cast out a demon which only God has. So here's what Mark is saying after all he's talked about. Jesus has this message, repent, believe, follow. And he's saying, John and Mark is just saying, it's crazy. Because how do you know he can call us to do that? Well, he cast out a demon. And everybody was shocked because only God can do this. Here's the thing. The offer of Jesus to repent and believe and follow was authentic because he had the authority to offer it. And the religious system didn't have that. In the rest of the Gospel of Mark, just like the other Gospels, you see Jesus in contrast to their system. And the religious leaders began to despise Jesus and try to find ways to kill Jesus. Because the religious system was there to keep the system operating. It wasn't there to help people. You realize systems exist primarily to keep the system functioning. Rarely does a system exist to really help you. If you don't believe me, <laughs> I say this with some trepidation, go to the Department of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> Try to get your license with your picture and address on it renewed. It's the license they gave you the last time. You haven't aged that much. You live at the same address. But you've got to bring 22 different types of authorization, authenticity, to say you're the same person living at the same address. Systems don't exist to help you. Now, if you're connected with the Department of Motor Vehicles, I love the people working there. Please don't turn me in. 
Here's the thing. In John's gospel, in the ninth chapter, there's this, there's this story, there's this event that happened that illustrates this flawlessly. In, in the eighth chapter of John, Jesus is having this battle, this ongoing battle with the Pharisees. I mean, they're all over his case. And he's just, he is just ripping into them. And, man, they're mad at him. They want to kill him. They're thinking about how to kill him. And towards the end of the eighth chapter, they had this discussion. And, 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 the, and the Pharisees just said, well, we're the children of Abraham. So what are you going to do to top that? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> before there was an Abraham, there was me. I always existed. And, and so they understand he's saying he's God, <laughs> that he's eternal. They get that. They pick up stones to kill him, and they can't. And then the ninth chapter comes. And understand, the Pharisees hate Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. They despise Jesus. In the ninth chapter, he is walking along. It's the Sabbath day. And he and he and his followers, and they see this guy who's blind, and the guy's been blind all his life. Now, they believed back then, when that type of tragedy happened, if you had some sort of illness, some sort of catastrophe, you were deformed, something happened, it was because of your sin, that God was judging you, and this is how he judged you, because of what you did wrong. By the same token, if you were blessed, if you were rich, if things were, you had lots of kids, God was blessing you because you were a righteous person. That's how they believed things. So they... They looked at this man who was blind, and so his disciples bought into that and said, Okay, Jesus, here's a guy who's blind. Who sinned, him or his parents? Well, he couldn't have been the sin. He couldn't be his fault that he's blind. And they're trying to get a hold of this. And Jesus said, It has nothing to do with that. He's not blind because of sin. Nothing to do with that. But I want you to know about the power of God. So he takes some dirt, and he takes some spit. I know that's gross, but he did it. And he puts it together, and he takes the spit and dirt, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. And then he said, and the guy didn't come to Jesus. I mean, Jesus just came to him. And he says, go in Siloam's fountain, the pool of Siloam. Wash yourself. You're going to see. And so the guy said, why not? And the people took him. And he could see. It was a miracle. And the people, I can't believe this. No one can heal a man born blind. No person has ever taken a person born blind and healed them. Only God can. Now, I know we live in a day and age today where, you know, we hear stories about blind people's things happening, being able to see. And that's great. That didn't happen back then. Only God can do that. And so the Pharisees found out. And the Pharisees were upset. And so they wanted to talk to the guy. They wanted to talk to this guy not to say, hey, it's great that you can see. Tell us who did that because it's wonderful. The guy who helped this dude see did it on the Sabbath. He worked on the Sabbath. And they were mad because you didn't work on the Sabbath. They didn't care that he healed this guy. They just care that Jesus worked on the Sabbath. So the guy came in front of them. They asked, who is this guy? He said, I don't know. I never met him. Heard he's Jesus. Hadn't even seen him. He hadn't even seen him yet. And so the Pharisees, it says, were split. They were arguing because some were saying, he can't be from God. He broke our Sabbath. Other guys who were Pharisees were saying, well, I know this. He healed a guy poor and blind. Only God can do that. We got a problem. They got the guy's parents. Maybe, maybe that he was not truly blind. They got the guy's parents. Said, yep, that's her son. Yes, he's always been blind. Well, how did this happen? They said, we don't know. Ask him. They were afraid to give credit to Jesus because they didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue by the system. They brought the guy back. They have another conversation with the guy. And the guy said, well, do you want to follow this guy too and be a disciple? And they cursed this guy. 
said, we're disciples of Moses. This guy is a sinner. And the, and, the, and the guy looks at the Pharisee and says, well, I don't know about that. God doesn't bless sinners. And only God has the power to heal a man born blind. And he did this. Figure it out. And they threw the guy out of the synagogue because of their hatred of Jesus. The system wasn't there to help the people. The system never cared about the people. And here's an amazing thing. The people liked Jesus. It's the system that didn't like him. Let's read through the page of the gospel. The people came to Jesus. People flocked to Jesus. On, on, on Sunday when Jesus, before Easter, when he came into Jerusalem, they lined the streets of Jerusalem, shouting and proclaiming the Messiah by the thousands. And then on Friday, they bring him before Pilate. And we like to say, I hear preachers say it all the time, you know, the mob loved Jesus on Sunday, and they yelled, crucify him on Friday. No, they didn't. There weren't thousands of people in front of Pilate's palace. You couldn't get thousands of people there. You couldn't get hundreds of people there. You could just get a few people there, a few dozen, maybe a hundred. And they were brought there by the Jewish leaders, part of the system, to yell, crucify him. The people did not want to crucify Jesus. They liked Jesus. It's the system that hated Jesus. Here's what I want you to see, and we need to see this today, especially as a church. People still like Jesus. They still want to know about Jesus. They still are interested in Jesus. What they're not interested in is our system. We've got to understand that. Listen, y'all are here. That's good. But there are a lot of people out there that aren't in any churches today. There are people who go on with their lives, and church is not a part of their life. There are things that matter to us, and I know it should matter to us. It doesn't matter to them. I, listen, the things we care about, I know we care about baptism and, and how a person's baptized, but the other people, people without Jesus, they don't care about baptism. We have all these discussions. I've done this a long, long time. We discuss all the time. Are you a Calvinist or you're not a Calvinist? What are your beliefs about the end times? What are you? You this, that, or that, or the other. What are you? We ask all these questions. They matter to us, and I get this. It doesn't matter to them. They don't care. I don't care if you're a Calvinist or not a Calvinist. I don't even know what that means. I don't even really know what that means. Well, I do, but I just pretend for the sake of the sermon that I don't. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. You know, they don't, Baptist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, whatever, they're all the same to them. That's shocking to us. Non-denominational, they don't know. Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, they're all part of it. We're like, no, no, no. They don't care. They just want to know if there's somebody out there in, their, in this world, somebody connected with the church, somebody who knows Jesus who can help them. Can you help me? Can you help the people I care about? Can you help us? And here's the thing we got to realize, and this is tough to say, because we want to help people. We do, we, and, and, it's part of, and, and we believe that we can help people. Here's, here's the thing we've got to understand if you're a part of the church. We cannot, in and of ourselves, by our power, help anyone and neither can any religious system. Only Jesus can. Jesus can help people. And we know Jesus. And that's what's so cool. Listen, we got churches are full of programs and ministries, and I get that. We don't have a lot. The ones we have are good. Programs and ministries are fine. But programs and ministries only matter for one reason. Do they help us get people in contact with Jesus? 
I mean, listen, we want to help people. I know that. We want to be an impact in their lives. I preach about impacting people's lives and making a difference. But when I preach that and I believe it, it's because we have Jesus to do it. I'm not doing it. I can't help you. I can't help myself. The church, as, as just as people, we don't have the power as a church to help you. Now, I know that flies in the face of what people hear and what people say, but just think about it. We can't do it. Who does it? Jesus does it. And when we as a church come to understand that our task is, however we do it, through our personal relationship with people, through our ministries, through our worship, however, when we help people meet Jesus, then Jesus can change their lives. And when we get to that point, we will see amazing things happen in our church. But as long as we think that it's we who have the power, that it's our ministries and our programs that make the difference, that it's the worship services we provide, that it's that service that does it, as long as we think it's something about us, we ain't going to be amazed by much of anything. Because all we've done is create a system. And people don't want a system. Some of you in your life right now really need help, and I get that. That's why you're here. There are, there are people who come to our church now who have never come to church before, but they thought they'd give us a chance. They want help. We understand that. There are people who've been out of church. You got burned by church. You got burned by a pastor. You got burned by something, and you're, and you're giving it another shot. We get that. Some of you are in a place in your life where you're just frustrated. And life doesn't seem to have much purpose. And, and maybe, maybe your family's falling apart. It's amazing how many times people, when their family, when their marriage starts to disintegrate, they say, well, I'm going to come to church. Maybe there's help. We want you to come. We want to help you. We can't help you, but we want to help you. And maybe sometimes you get to a point where your finances are a mess. And, and, and you just you lost your job. You don't know what to do, and you need help. And we get that. And maybe it's just your health or the health of someone you love. And you just, you just feel lonely and isolated. I want you to know something. You're the reason Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He came for people. He didn't come for a system. He didn't come to say, here's some rules and regulations I want you to follow. He came for you. And that never changes. I would never ask you, to trust the Christian faith to help you. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't ask you to trust our church to help you. I wouldn't even do that. I wouldn't even ask you to trust me to help you. What I would simply want you to consider is this. Why don't you trust Jesus? Jesus. Trust him. Why? He has the authority to change your life. We can trust Jesus with our life because he has something no religion or system has authority. He has the authority to forgive sin and bring us to God. Jesus has the authority from God to forgive our sin and bring us to God. How do we know that? Because he did things only God could do and the system hated him for it. So when Jesus comes and says repent Believe, follow, you can repent of your sin, trust him and follow him with your life because he has the authority from God 
to forgive your sin and save you. So every sermon in this series, I have kind of posed a question. Who is Jesus? And how does he impact my life? Because that's what really matters. Who is Jesus? How does he impact my life? Jesus is the authentic and authoritative Son of God. He is the Messiah. And he can do what no system can do because of that. Last week I shared with you that Christians follow Christ nothing more, nothing less. We do. And that's what's amazing is that we can follow Jesus. It's amazing to think that we can turn away from sin and put our faith in Christ and he will forgive us and save us. Some of you today, right now, you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to ask him to forgive you for your sin. Say, I trust you, Lord, and I'm going to give my life to you. And he will, because he has the authority to do it, forgive you and save you. And if you will do that, do it now. If you want to, come forward, and we're going to have an invitation. And just take the hand of one of the people here and say, I want to follow Christ. Would you help me? And we will help you do what only Jesus can do. We'll get you in contact with him. Here's the thing. Wouldn't it be great if a year from now we were all amazed at the way Jesus has changed our lives? And if we stood here a year from now and we could say with the people of Mark, we were amazed, amazed at what Jesus has done. Father, thank you. For Mark just lays it out so clear for us that there was a gospel of Jesus, and that's amazing. And then he says, repent, believe, and follow. And Father, that is amazing. It's amazing because he has the authority from you to do what no system can do. Change our lives. And so I ask in his name, and I ask in the power of the Holy Spirit, That you would touch the lives of everyone here and those that need to turn away from sin and follow Christ would trust him. And that when they do their father, they would be amazed. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?